Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. If, if you've tried to get tickets to a major sports or entertainment event in, in recent years, you probably know all too well that uh, it seems like the greatest avail- availability is, is through secondary sources and, of course, always at a price higher than, than face value. Um, to me, not too long ago, that was known as scalping, and, and the people who operated in that manner were doing so on the wrong side of the law. So when exactly did scalpers become brokers, and, and what does that mean to the ticket-buying public? Well, we're going to find out. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. I'm, I'm the one posing all the questions, and fortunately here to uh, help provide some answers is Attorney Heidi Cuffle of Lavelle Law. Um, we've got a lot to cover, so let's just jump right into it. But first, let me say hello and good afternoon, Heidi. It's nice to have a chance to talk to you again. Good afternoon, Jim. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. Looking forward to this. Now, uh, I, I guess we'll start with the, you know the the legal piece of this. Um, you know the reference to where this all comes from, and in the notes here, there's something called the Ticket Sale and Resale Act. If I'm reading that correctly, what what can you tell us about that as a starting point? Sure. So the Ticket Sale and Resale Act, uh, an Illinois Act here, um, and it covers uh, circuses, theaters, uh, ballparks, and different places of public entertainment um, where tickets of admission are uh, sold to the public at large. And in effect, you, you mentioned a number of different types of events there. Um, is, is it covering do we talk about being able to buy tickets strictly through a box office and then you know define anyone outside the box office in terms of ticket sale capabilities Sure. So it, that's a good question. And it, it is um, the box office and then anyone outside of the box office. But basically what this act deals with is um, not so much if you're selling the tickets at the same price as what the box office is selling them at, uh, for, but for uh, tickets that are being sold for greater value than uh, what the box office is uh, selling those for. Okay. And does it then set parameters that, that again, I, you know, as I said in the beginning, this to me is what we used to call scalping. You'd buy tickets at one price, you'd sell them at a higher price, make some money in the deal. Um, now it sounds like that's sort of a, a approved process uh, under this act. Is that what they set up to account for is allowing that to happen? Well, they do allow it to happen under the Act, and it lists um, several exceptions. Um, essentially, the the Act sets out um, that it's unlawful for any person or, or entity to um, sell those tickets for greater than face value unless you fall within one of these exceptions. And, and what would those exceptions be? Is that defined in the Act then? Yeah, so we have um, one of the biggest exceptions that uh, we had kind of touched on is ticket broker. And then we also have, and I'll, I'll go through um, some of the some of the details as far as what each of these needs to sort of do to um, be defined as uh, an exception. But we have ticket brokers. Um, we also have uh, resellers uh, engaged in uh, intrastate or interstate commerce on internet auction listing service uh, sites. And then um, we have uh, resellers who uh, make their resale through an internet website. And then that operator has to meet certain requirements, but those are the those are the major ones. And 
and I know this is all fairly new in my understanding and, and um, maybe not uh, particularly evolved. Is is there a significant difference between, because they all sound somewhat the same to me. Do you, do you have a sense for mm-hmm. what the difference is between one and the other? Um, well, you know, to be honest, I think that, you know, as the, as, uh, Internet probably became more um, predominant. I'm sure they wanted to make mm-hmm. a you know a specialized class for that. And quite honestly, most of the the um, uh, regulations that are listed under each of these is is fairly similar. So I think they uh, whoever you know enacted this was certainly um, having the same sort of purpose involved for all all groups uh, cited here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and tell me about some of the requirements then, uh, perhaps, you know, as, as you might find with a broker. I mean, how do they stay within compliance then? Sure. So um, they have to be registered with the Office of the Secretary of State. Um, they have to follow consumer protection guidelines. Uh, there's uh, certain standards of professional conduct that they need to follow, Um Almost all these regulations also uh, require some sort of a refund policy to the uh, consumer, and then um, they alternatively, you know, list that you can belong to a professional association, and they have um, various requirements under that as well. Um, and then um, almost every one of these categories also uh, deals with requirements relating to uh, retailers' occupational tax as well. So they they want to ensure that uh, tax is being handled appropriately um, too. Okay. And can these brokers, do they, and, and again, I don't know if the, the Act defines this or not or if it's something you, you've run into, but do they have to have a physical location? If you say some of you know, they may operate on the Internet, um, I guess once they've registered with the Secretary of State, they sort of are covered regardless of, of where they operate. But are there any restrictions in terms of um, having a, a physical building that people can go to? Yes, and some of some of those exactly do list that some of the um, provisions in there. You know, say that you need to have a business presence and a physical street address in the state of Illinois, and you have to uh, clearly post that on your website in order uh, to qualify and uh, meet those regulations. And and once they have done that, they've met these requirements. Um, explain to me a little bit more because I, it, it gets a little confusing as you go through this. They then can – are they limited as to what they can resell tickets for in terms of the amount? Uh, can it be over face value? Are they just entitled to resell? Are they, and do they resell on behalf of the venue, or can they purchase from one consumer and sell to another consumer? Sure. So um, it, this act um, only deals mostly here with uh, with tickets for greater uh, than face value. And okay. um, they – so – but they do have restrictions. So even if you do fall under one of these categories and you are able to um, to sell a ticket to a consumer or tickets to consumers, um, there are still restrictions that are placed on them. So um, like, for example, the uh, ticket brokers, they can't sell tickets uh, for an event at or near the facility um, in which the, it's actually being sold. So that box office where it's actually being being sold unless um, that broker has um, some sort of property right uh, on that property or near that property where they're either leasing it or owning it. But essentially, um, they don't want these ticket brokers uh, right around the main event's box office. So that's that's one mm-hmm. of the restrictions that's placed uh, directly within the Act. 
um, and, and we're, we're talking about ticket brokers here in, in the state of Illinois. And um, quite frankly, I'm, I mentioned Heidi earlier, I'm surprised we haven't covered this topic in the past because it, it really is a great topic and very complex. There's a lot we could cover. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, Attorney Heidi Kuffel is with me today to kind of guide us through. Um, it's been a while, but I always appreciate her, her appearances here on the podcast. And in addition, you'll, you'll find she shares a great deal of knowledge as a, as a very prolific contributor to uh, LavelleLaw.com where she's got a number of articles uh, on a very regular basis. And in recent months, um, you may have seen she's engaged in some very thoughtful written debates with one of her colleagues, uh, Attorney Lance Ebel, in their It's Debatable series. Um, so that, again, uh, for your consumption at LavelleLaw.com, and I, I recommend you take a quick trip over there to check some of that out. Now, as, as we talk about the topic today, one of the things I always think of um, when I see these tickets is quite frequently they're used as auction items for um, charitable events or, you know, sometimes people will sort of try and sell them at a, at a higher price in the guise of doing it as a, you know, for a not-for-profit entity. Um, is any of that covered by the Act? Yes, and that is the one exception I um, did not mention. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, also listed within the exception are these not-for-profit organizations, and that's exactly for what you cited. And it's um, for the for charitable purposes. Um, they can certainly go ahead, and um, they're in compliance if they are, um, you know, auctioning these solely for a nonprofit or an organization for charitable purposes. Okay, well that seems to be very, very common. We see that quite a bit. Now let's. Let's go back and talk about, um, you know, meeting some of the requirements or some of the, you know, someone who may fail to meet them. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that the guy who's still out selling tickets on the street, um, what penalties do they face now if they're just what we would call a, a traditional scalper? And are those penalties the same that now a broker would face if they operate outside the established guidelines or are there two separate sets of requirements there? Um, no, so it, essentially anyone that um, violates the act. So that's you know at first we were we were sort of talking about how it's it's unlawful to um, sell these tickets at a greater than uh, face value uh, amount mm -hmm. just in general. And then so anyone that does that that doesn't fall into one of the exceptions would be violating it, as well as um, anyone that does fall within an exception that doesn't. Um, adhere to the specific, very specific requirements that are listed uh, in order to be considered within that exception. Um, so, so sort of two types of violators that fall within that. And um, they can, uh, the tickets can be confiscated, of course. And, um, you know, there can be legal action that's sought as far as uh, some sort of injunction. Uh, so they get uh, some kind of a immediate relief from that. And that can be uh, either initiated by uh, the attorney general or, this, or the state's attorney. Um, and then uh, they could also be guilty of a Class A misdemeanor with a fine of up to $5,000. So it, it can add up. And, of course, we, we see all the time, you know, stories, and we saw it recently here in Chicago with, with the great playoff run by the, by the Cubs. We've seen it in the past with the Blackhawks uh, and other events. You know, th there are stories about these exorbitant amounts of, of money being asked for tickets, but... Just to clarify, if that's going through a registered broker and they're following the rules, there's really no limit as to what they can charge uh, on top of a, of a stated uh, face value ticket. Right, as long as they have all of the yeah, they're following all of the requirements under the under the act, correct? Okay. And then you mentioned something earlier too that, that I wanted to come back to because I didn't catch it clearly. And I know when when you just when you buy tickets online from from the venue itself, you just go through the normal process. 
there's the ticket price, and then there are service charges and, and perhaps taxes on top of that, which add up. Do these sellers have to adhere to those same rules? Are there charges? Are there taxes? I think you mentioned that certainly sales tax would apply. Exactly. Yes, they are, there's definitely um, provisions in each one of those that applies to uh, sales uh, tax being accounted for. And then, not surprisingly, uh, there is a provision within the Act that allows for those uh, service charges that we've all seen on our tickets that, that make them uh, a little bit more expensive. So, as long as uh, it's you know you're collecting a reasonable service charge, um, that is completely acceptable. Unfortunately, <laughs> as well. Yeah, I know you never know what reasonable is, but it does certainly seem to add right. up. Um, so let, let me ask you this question, and, and um, uh, I, I know this uh, is not something that uh, you deal with on a regular basis, but uh, as you deal with this and, and other consumer issues and litigation issues in your practice, um, we didn't really touch on counterfeit tickets, but it's part of, of the world in terms of this ticket resale. So if someone is buying tickets to an event, um, any suggestions as to what they should do to protect their investment? I mean, how do they know if someone is a licensed broker, even if they see them online? Any, any advice as to what people should be doing there? Right. Well, that is that is very difficult to see. And I guess, you know, in a way, there, there's so many different, um, you know, options out there today that, it, you know, it's going to be sort of hard to do your research to understand fully if, if that is the case. But I would say the more information that you can get from the website, probably the, the greater the chance, uh, you know, that, that there is, um, that they are in compliance with this, with this act. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, that, that, that could be the case. However, um, you know, there's so many regulations in here that if you see, like, one of the uh, requirements is, uh, like, a, a toll-free uh, number for people to call and so they can uh, com- complain um, about anything specifically related to, like, uh, consumer protection. So, you know, you, does it have a toll-free number? Um, is it is it reg- – can you see anything um, – can you see that address with uh, th- with Illinois listed on there? Um, can you, I mean, I- anything that sort of um, uh, establishes the entity um, and has, you know, more information available and allows you channels to uh, voice any kind of concerns uh, is probably, um, you know, likely, <laughs> more likely to be following yeah. the act. Yeah, we'll certainly provide some reassurance for you. Well, listen, I, I can't uh, thank you enough, Heidi, for being with us today. Great to talk to you, as always, and uh, really a great conversation. So uh, we'll let uh, uh, Attorney Heidi Koppel of Lavelle Law get uh, back to work here, finish up her day. And, um, again, visit LavelleLaw.com to pick up on some of her articles and podcasts featuring her and, and a lot of her colleagues, one of whom will be with me for our next episode of the podcast, and I hope you will be as well. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. 